but I think uh, with with my own like personal experiences, it was I think my first openly racist experience was I think I was around the age of twelve, ten, ten to mm-hmm. twelve, somewhere in between there, you know, within that window, and it was actually at an arcade because what had happened was we were at one of these arcades and I was standing yeah. with my brother, my younger brother, mm-hmm. and then. When we're standing, obviously, uh, there, was, there was a distance between me and the person in front of me, uh, just to maintain distance, you know, like just like anyone would. Then there's this one white guy who was with his girlfriend at the time who then came in and cut right in front of us. You know, he was all that big, uh, those, those type of like, very like built guy. You know? yeah. And then he came yeah. and cut in front of us. And I then like, just like I politely tapped him. I'm like, yo, um, I was, obviously I'm here in the line, you know, like DC. And... I remember he said the K word, like he just raised it, like he just used it. And he was like, What are you gonna do about it? And I remember obviously like standing in the moment in time, it was like you kinda of realize, okay, he's he's much older, he's much bigger. So even yeah. if you would want to take it up maybe in a different manner, uh there's no benefit to me. And I remember my parents were actually uh, sitting in the restaurant across. So I thought if I go tell them, what then will be their reaction? And it was just like I didn't necessarily feel at the time like they would understand where I was coming from. I felt like they would have one of those reactions to say that, um, you know, these are the things that happen. And not because um, they are bad parents or they wouldn't, like, support you. But I think it's because for a lot of uh, the older generation, uh, they've kind of been programmed into a servitude under white people. And I think it comes from uh, a purely basis of, like, colonialism when it came, you know what I mean? So for a lot of the older generation, not all of them, but for a lot of them, it's still a lot of black people are still under servitude, even if they don't realize it. So it's like your mind is still under shackles, under the very same shackles that uh, you were put in before, you know? Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I think in the moment in time, I just inferred that, okay, it'd be pointless to go to them. And it was also like the reaction that I undertake here is also going to determine how my younger brother then um, interacts maybe with white people from here. So it's like, yeah, like yeah. I was in that position where I had to like be very, to be very mindful of how I act from that moment. And I think in the moment in time, I kind, I kind of just decided to, to just let it go. And I just stay, like, I just remained and just kept quiet. And I think mm-hmm. as a, I think when I left, I just, the only thing I told my brother was like, I, I don't know what's his problem, you know? Like, I didn't, want to, I didn't want him to feel as though I was making it a thing. Because it was also, you, you don't want to kind of like harbor hate within kids or to, yeah. to form their ideas and opinions for them. You know, like it was something I'd always said that I I would always remain punctual and whatever idea he then generates and he begins to build as he goes on his own walk of life, that's his yeah. baby. You know, it has nothing to do with me. So I think that was my first experience and was like very explicit, like very open. Then I think from there, it was also my second real experience, I think, was in high school where, because in primary school, I'd been in a school that was predominantly black uh, mm. with almost, there was no white person actually except the educators. And maybe yeah. uh, the admin, but in terms of like interactions that you had with students, uh, they were all just predominantly black or mm. other races, but not white. So I never had like necessarily open experiences in primary until I went to high school, which was yeah. uh, very much like a mixed school. You could almost say maybe fifty-fifty split, mm-hmm. you know. And I remember there's this one. It was also a one white girl who once said, "So what she said in the moment, and I think it was just an asking." And she said something like, "I would never date." a black guy you know and it was mm-hmm. like obviously in the moment in time uh she tried to justify it to say it was a preference 
a lot of people try to justify it. And I think a lot of times, like, it's happened, I think we see it a lot, where people say stuff like that and they justify it to say it's a preference and all these things. But then somewhere along the line, obviously, I then realized, I was like, okay, in its even though it's a preference, it's a very racist preference to have, you know? Yeah. And this was, yeah. obviously, this was as you kind of then, like, begin to mend ideas in your head and you begin to start to structure ideas. So I think from there on, also, I was, for, I was fortunate enough to, to have been exposed to, like, a lot of... Um, material where I was watching a lot of things on like you know the civil rights movements, black consciousness. Because it's something that had just always interested me. Um from a home level, home cell level, you know, where my parents mm-hmm. would like tell us about these things, my grandparents. So I think from that moment on, I think I became accustomed to the fact that okay, in the the space I'm in right now, in the space I'm gonna be in for the next few years of my life, this is how yeah. it's gonna be. You understand? So I think I started mm-hmm. to to somewhat block out experiences that I felt were racist. So as soon as something would happen, I would just kind of, just kind of like laugh it off and just let it like yeah. be swept under the carpet because you didn't want to push the narrative of the angry black kid. Um, mm-hmm. You also knew, I think the other thing was you knew that the lens that your parents went to to get you into that school, uh, yeah. maybe on an economic scale, meaning how much they paid or even just how much they were sacrificing at home for you to be in that school. You never wanted to yeah. necessarily get in trouble. And you knew that taking up issues like that could get you in trouble because the admin at the time, especially in the school, was all white. I think the only time we actually got a black teacher was when I was in grade, probably like grade 10, 11. And the first sure. black teacher was, was just a PT teacher, you know. Probably, sure. like, no, no offense, but probably one of the most not-so-useful positions in the school. So <laughs> it was honestly yeah, like... Nice. Uh, it was obviously a thing where you never wanted to take it up. And because even the teachers were, were very much racist um, mm-hmm. in their actions, sometimes in the, in the small comments. Um, a lot of students actually from that school to this day have a lot of um, issues that they bring up. Uh, it's always in the spotlight, actually, uh, for, for racist mm-hmm. things. So it was like things we could never take up. And I think for a lot of black people, that's always been the case where we've, we haven't been able to speak up on these issues for the longest time in the longest while, not because yeah. we don't want to, but because we feel like for us to to live in harmony, for us to just get anything, you understand? It's like, I just yeah. have to appease and not not openly say or voice out my dissatisfaction. So you kind of yeah. just are stuck in this pattern where you, I think you remain silenced for the longest while, where you just remain silent, mm-hmm. not because you want to be, but because you realize that maybe for my own benefit, I ought to be silent. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that was that was my experience, and I think a lot of people don't um, they they don't want to be honest in terms of and not I'm not referring to black people, but like uh, white people themselves, they don't want to be honest in terms of understanding, and I think they choose to remain ignorant in understanding how traumatic it is for us uh, as black people because I think they think sometimes that like these are very like petty issues and minor issues, yeah. but yeah. they don't realize that they it shapes a whole um, like how you then perceive white people from that point going forward you know mm-hmm. and uh it can be something that can be very detrimental especially as we begin to grow when we start like maybe forming businesses uh mm-hmm. i think if you have a lot of hate and anger you can begin to like deny maybe like qualified white people who aren't maybe even like problematic to some extent opportunities True. because True. of the stuff that that happened to you in your primary school when you were younger and i think in that if you if they fail to understand that i think for the longest time who keep having this like perpetual cycle that just goes back and forth, back and forth, where it's like white people do this, we keep out for a while, eventually at some point you grow up, you're now able to voice it out, you voice it out, and you just keep yeah. doing the same thing, and it's just like circular, you know? So I think 
that's that those are my experience my own personal experiences then i think um the the, the one question i actually wanted to ask and this is a question when i when i wrote it down and i was thinking about it it was like i think the question i figured that it would take a lot of the time was how do you feel like um the legacy of apartheid has either continued or it has been dismantled mm-hmm. uh in the current times where we are so basically from 1994 when we gained mm-hmm. freedom I put it in freedom. Every time I say freedom, I put it in inverted commas in my head. Yeah. With my hands. <laughs> because it's, uh, it's a very slippery slope, you know, in terms yeah. of what is that freedom was. But how do you feel like maybe the legacy has either continued or has been stopped? Anything post-apartheid, what's your take on it? I think, you know, for for me, um, I would say that I see how the legacy of apartheid has actually continued in our country, you know. Mm-hmm. There was um there was a quote that I that I read in a newspaper article a while back mm-hmm. and it said, well this woman said, I went from living to a shack to a shack. You know? Yes, and <clears throat> that 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 statement is very short, but for me it was so powerful, man. You know, there's still a lot of economic inequality in, in our country, you know. Mm-hmm. The ever-worsening challenges of inequality and economic social rights deprivations in South Africa are the evidence of the of this persistent legacy of, of apartheid, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there, there are still millions of South Africans who do not enjoy these rights that, you know, we were supposed to uh, we were supposed to enjoy post um, 1994, post apartheid I mean, you know, these social and economic challenges are also created by wealth and the income inequality, Mm -hmm. you know, remaining or remains concentrated within the black population. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially, you know, in the case of black women, I think black women, they carry the biggest burden of load paid care work in in our country. You know, Um, I mean, you look at schools in the rural areas, you know, in the townships. You know, back then, these schools were under-resourced. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they lacked facilities. And if you had to go back to, to, if you had to go visit these schools, you know, in the rural areas or in the townships, many of these schools are still under-resourced. Mm-hmm. You know, they still lack facilities, you know, to, to, to be able to, well, to enable the, the students to perform at the optimum, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's I mean, we've been fortunate enough, I think we went to schools where, you know, things like technology was 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 something that we didn't have to worry about. You know, we had smart boards, you know, we had um computer labs, you know, we you know, we were I would say we were privileged, you know, mm-hmm. enough to have gone to those schools. Definitely. But you you go and visit these schools, these so-called black schools, until today, you know, many of them don't have smart boards. Many of them don't have computer labs. So you find that the, f- the first time that some of these students are exposed to computers or laptops is when they come to varsity, you know. And now when they come to varsity, they have no experience of actually, I mean, yes, they might know how to use them. But, you know, once you, you introduce them to programs like Excel, or you know Microsoft Word, they need a bit of training because they didn't have that, um, you know, that foundation back 
at the schools that they went to. Um, you look, I mean, another thing as well that we could talk about is how majority of people living in informal settlements are still black people. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to to squatter camps, you go to so many of these, uh, so many of these, you know, poor areas, mm-hmm. and majority of the people living there are black people. Mm-hmm. You know, in many black communities, they do not even have clean running water, and it's twenty twenty. And for me, I'm just like the cycle or the legacy of apartheid has really perpetuated because it it doesn't make sense. And I mean, obviously, yes, to be fair, there are obviously um, many contributing factors to this, you know, but it still doesn't make sense how people, you know, were crying and then pleading for clean running water, you know, before before we were granted, like you said, inverted commas, freedom, are still crying about the same things in today's time. Mm. And, you know, um, at my grandmother's village in, in Rustenburg, Northwest, they still don't have clean running water. Mm. So we had to, like, you know, my mother invested in a filter so that she's able to, like, purify the water. Mm. And it's it's crazy now, if you think about how many other people, not many other people can afford you know, purifies yeah. to, to, to clean the water. Yeah. So what then happens is, you know, you're forced to, to drink this, this water and, you know, this, this, this dirty water or this contaminated water and it poses so many health risks to, to, to you and your family, you know, and you also expect it to cook with this water. Yeah. So it, it's, 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 it's really sad to see. You know, and there's also this unequal access to healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where if you can afford medical aid, you get premium healthcare. But if you go to, you know, the public hospitals, and we know many of our public hospitals, you know, they're under-resourced, mm-hmm. they're understaffed. And on, you know, I think many times or on many occasions, they fail to assist those who are in dire need of treatments because they don't have the equipment, you know? Mm-hmm. And most of the people that suffer because of this are unfortunately black people. Yeah. You know, not, not everybody can afford medical aid. And yeah, man, that's just my take on, on, you know, how the legacy of apartheid has continued in our country. I don't think, you know, yes, we have, I don't think it's been completely dismantled. I think it's 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 very prevalent in our country. You don't need to look too far for you to see it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree. With, I think more than anything, it's it's literally in our foresight. So it's something that uh, something that's right here that we can see. Um, mm. I, I I had a similar conversation not so long ago, and I think the one thing I said, and I, I remember it sparked like a whole like conversation that then like, went so much further. Was that yeah. I think the, I know there's 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 the one um, there's, I think it was Rusi Timbawari who was speaking the other time mm-hmm. and he he made a statement to say that I, I'm I'm not too certain I think it was him though, to say that perhaps black people were more were better off under apartheid than they were now and I think um, yeah. understanding the, the understanding at the time I was very I don't know the word I think I think I didn't take the the statement too well. But then trying yeah. to understand it and really digging deep into it, you can sort of understand 
what was being implied by that statement. Because yeah. what I actually thought is that, obviously, as black people pre-1994, we already knew what it was that we were allowed to and what we're not allowed to do. You understand? Mm. So it was a situation where you knew, uh, if you take the likes of Nelson Mandela, uh, who mm. had a law firm at the time, you knew that for you to be able to acquire certain things or for you to be afforded certain opportunities, you had to work yeah. two times as hard from the from the beginning. You know what I mean? From yeah. the yeah. fundamental stages, you knew that, and that was your your life. Whereas post nineteen ninety four or freedom, as as it came, mm-hmm. uh, it gave us the illusion of freedom, and that was very problematic for us because I don't think we fully understood. Um, what it was that was happening, what was transpiring in our society. Yeah. Meaning that yeah. what it then did to black people like right now is that you now have black people who thought they were on the same plane as white people, meaning that they thought they were afforded the same opportunities. So the work yeah. that in itself became less, you know, assuming that, oh, me and this person are on the same level, so I can essentially work the same as this person. But in reality, what was happening is that it's still not the same um, opportunities afforded to you guys. So you still yeah, have to work yeah. two times as hard as the white your your white counterpart to get the same thing that your white counterpart would have. You know what I mean? Mm. So with that misconception or that misunderstanding, what it then did to us is that it left a lot of people, a lot of black people, of course, with a normal work ethic. You know what I mean? In a normal society, mm. a person with a normal work ethic should be getting normal things. But because we understand uh, our society, it's to say that a normal work ethic on a black person will get you bare minimum. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because... Yeah the opportunities that are presented to you, um, the things that are given to you, the platforms, they're completely different. And I think uh, we, yeah. we see it a lot, uh, even in the way that we, even in, the, in, in our schools, you know, uh, as a black child or as a black student, you always have that idea that when you take subjects, for instance, when you choose subjects, you have to choose maybe <laughs> your, your accountings and your sciences and pure maths. And sometimes it's not because you want to choose that or it's aligned with the career you want to take but it's because you always feel like you have to have a plan B. You've always felt like we needed a plan B as black people, you know what I mean? To say that mm-hmm. perhaps if I, if, I, if I choose to study maybe um, IT in school, you know, in, in high school, maybe the yeah. IT industry will not be opened up to me. So just in case, let me take like physical sciences so that maybe I can then do something like engineering, you know? You yeah. also then have on top of that, you're like, ah, just in case, maybe let me take accounting so maybe that like I can take the, the commerce route, you know? But mm-hmm. either way, what you have is a situation where we aren't afforded the same opportunities. And I think you, you laid it quite well to say that if you think of, um, if you think of black, black schools, if you think of uh, hospitals uh, yeah. pre-apartheid or during apartheid, obviously a lot of black schools and black hospitals were under-resourced or under-financed. Mm-hmm. So what was happening was a lot of students were receiving subpar education, meaning that they yeah. were never able to make anything of themselves after education. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of health in itself, they were receiving subpar health. So even the life expectancy of black people would obviously then be much lower than that of their counterparts. Not because yeah. we were living an unhealthy life, not because yeah. we were doing anything different from um, our black, um, our white counterparts, but purely because yeah. our healthcare systems just didn't cater for us as well because they're under-resourced. So mm-hmm. I think um, it's a situation that I think that the, 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 the legacy of apartheid still is very much prevalent in our society. It still, mm-hmm. it still exists and it's still very much loud, if anything. Uh, perhaps more than it was before. So that's definitely an issue. That's definitely something that we need to look into, something that we haven't looked into, I think, as a society uh, for whatever reason it may be. But I think uh, 
I think the examples that you gave purely, especially if you look at it in terms of uh, schools, in terms of yeah. hospitals, I think those are the type of things that you can see quite clearly. Because mm. if somebody can explain to me perhaps why you, you still have um, places like maybe Soweto or Alex mm-hmm. that are like maybe close to your center, but you know that in one part you have purely just black people. In one part you know that you have white people, you know? Sure. That in itself is, is that's, that was the whole idea of apartheid. Apartheid in itself was just a system of segregation, separation, mm-hmm. to say that black people one side, white people the other side. And we still see it so much in our, in our daily lives. We see it so yeah. much. Um, even in, I, I always use the example to say when you take UP, for instance, which is right here, and you take mm-hmm. maybe TUT, which is about three, four kilometers just down the road. You know? Yeah. If you yeah. look at the difference just in infrastructure, if you look at the difference maybe in what it is that's taught in these different institutions, you realize that there's a clear problem, you know, because mm-hmm. these are still both government institutions. So yeah. in their teaching or in their quality, they're supposed to be the exact same institution, you know, in mm-hmm. what it is they're delivering. Mm-hmm. But they're not the same because the one is predominantly catering for black students, which is TT, yeah. it's a known thing. The one is predominantly catering for white students, which is UP, which is a known yeah. thing. So somehow, some way, I think those disparities are the ones that need to to kind of like be brought to light and mm. I think somehow tackled because I think we we continue to live under apartheid maybe not knowingly you know what I mean that's why I said freedom is very much in inverted commas because yeah if we think about these things like in hindsight you actually realize how how oppressed we still remain how oppressed mm-hmm. we still are and how oppressed we'll continue to be because we are failing to see the problem because if you don't yeah. see the problem there's no active way of working on something that you're not seeing you know sure so that was that was the way I saw the, the legacy of apartheid. Do you know like how how crazy it is? Because when you think about it, the, <clears throat> the 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 chat that you that you mentioned now about the universities and stuff, the uh, I think obviously we know that there was a point where you know your your major varsities, so your UCTs, WITS, UJ, and UP. They they were obviously white institutions, you know, and obviously back then black, you know, black students weren't allowed in these institutions. You know, you had your 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 institutions that were just purely for the white people, mm. and you look at how. That's why when you look at the buildings, I don't know if you've ever noticed, mm. but if you've ever visited many of these campuses, I know you know, I'm speaking for UP. And I think I've been on VITS as well. One mm. thing that I noticed is that you must look at the the, the structure of the buildings as well. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they're so different from your TUT, you know, because you look at, at, at um, what's this, at UP. UP for me is one of the most beautiful campuses or one of the most beautiful, yeah, campuses that I've seen in South Africa. Obviously, the first for me would have to be UCT. I think UCT has got, oh, UCT yeah, state of the arts. Yeah, no, state of the arts. It's top tier. You know, mm-hmm. it's also it's 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 also quite good looking. Mm-hmm. But then you go to these other, you know, these other you know tertiary institutions like TUT, um, CPUT, and stuff, and it's even not UJ. as and yeah, you could even say UJ. You know, but have you seen the difference between um, between the buildings like? The ones that I mentioned, you know, your your UP, Vits, UCT, they're so grand in terms of like the the, the infrastructure there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then you'd compare them to the, some of the smaller, you know, universities or tertiary institutions, technicons, whatever you want to call them. Mm. Um, and many of those were, you know, that's where most black people attended, you know, many black yeah. people attended those institutions instead of, you know, the, the, the major tertiary institutions in the country. But even when you look at those, you will see a difference in just the, 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 the buildings, you know, mm. definitely speaking for UP, you know, as UP students, I have, I'm still in awe sometimes when I'm on campus and I'm walking around and, you know, I'm mm. observing different buildings and I'm just like, you know, especially the old buildings, not necessarily the new buildings because they weren't mm. really there um, back then, you know, or they mm. weren't, um, they weren't renovated at that time. But some of the old buildings, you look at them and you're like, yes, as much as these buildings have been here for like, you know, many years, even during the times of apartheid and stuff, but they're still beautiful, mm. you know? So it's, it's one of those things where you consider yourself very lucky to be to 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 now be attending the institutions. Institutions, yeah, true. Would do you think that? Would you say that freedom, or do you think that freedom is an illusion in today's in today's, in today's time? Yeah, I think I think where we are currently, um, mm. in terms of the political climate, in terms of the social climate, in terms of the economic climate, altogether, mm. you know, when you bring everything as a country. I sincerely believe that freedom may have been an illusion. Mm. And um, it's a very controversial thing, but I think uh, where it comes from is just the basic understanding, like you said, that if we begin to look at it, you know, with the, with the, with the lens, the sticker, you begin to yeah. see the differences, you begin to see the disparity. I think even when you, when you refer to UP, let's, let's, we can take UP maybe yeah. in our own experience. Even when you are on campus, you understand Mm-hmm. The buildings on campus within UP are also very different, significantly yeah. different. You have your yeah, engineering yeah. side, you have your, your law side, you have your BCom side, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And obviously, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a quite obvious and apparent thing when you do see the different degree programs that's a certain demographic of students study a certain mm-hmm. um, type of degree. So yeah. the BCom degree predominantly caters for, for black students. Uh, most of the time, mm-hmm. you know, whereas you get your engineering degrees that are catering for predominantly white students. And I think yeah. if it happens, obviously, it's because it's from, uh, from a school level, the, the entry point or the, the, the APS and the entry that you need to study engineering is quite different from that that you need for PCOM, quite different yeah. from that that you need for law. And I think law, yeah. it's, it's a thing that's quite obvious. It's a thing that we know, but that because of our education system failing black people, a lot of the mm-hmm. time, black students aren't able to attain certain grades, certain marks understand yeah. so what it then automatically does is it pushes them to choose a very specific type of program a very specific type of degree so even in the way that these um institutions were built it's almost like you can see that even though i'm in the in the better if you want to call it the better university or the better institution even yeah. in there there's still like a quite clear difference and disparity that exists do you know what i mean mm. so i think the, the 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 idea that freedom could have been an illusion or is an illusion is something that we should all think about to some extent. I think people with different mm-hmm. opinion because I think definitely freedom was an illusion. But also having said that, um, it doesn't negate the fact that there's a certain level of privilege now that I've been afforded in terms of yeah. Um, yeah. maybe what uh, what I'm able to access, what I'm able to have. But I think also that comes at a cost because I think it goes back to, to the initial point to say that our parents had to work two times as hard as maybe 
other parents had to work, you know, yeah. to get up to these positions. And that's yeah. why a lot of the time when you are in this position, the certain things that you, like certain opinions that you have to keep to yourself because you don't want to get in trouble. You don't want to cost yeah. your parents that opportunity they afforded you, you know, mm-hmm. which is something that a lot of um, maybe non-black students don't ever have to feel like. And hence why you see, even when it comes to complaining, when it comes to, you know, whenever they feel like voicing their opinion, they voice it so freely and so openly because they, yeah. they're very much aware that I, I, I don't have to to face a certain type of backlash if I do, you know, openly like mm. voice out my opinion. 